Good morning. It is awesome to be with you. I want to greet everyone online and also Speedway Campus, however you have gathered with us. My name is Dan Diebel. We are in this series called Work Matters. That's right. We're talking about the fact that you matter in work. You bear the image of God. There is dignity in work. We are called to work to the glory of God. There are matters in work that can frustrate us. How do we deal with that? And so in every possible way, we are looking at this idea of there is a thing called work, we are called to it. How do we bring this our very best right then and there? And for those that do, we have actually an award. We have the West Sider of the Week, where we honor those who are getting it after it with trust and with hustle and with rest and are just putting their hand to the plow, not looking back. And today we have a very special guest who is receiving an award. And to set this up, we want to show you a video from Good Morning America that featured Kansas City's own The Golden Scoop. Anybody been to The Golden Scoop? Yeah, they are doing amazing work with a deep and beautiful mission. And so let's watch the video and then we'll bring out our special guest. As you may know, we profile inspiring Americans across our country in our ongoing ABC News series, America Strong. And we are about to hear from two sisters who started a nonprofit to employ individuals with disabilities. The Golden Scoop sells ice cream, baked goods, and coffee. And the one thing they can't put a price tag on, it's the joy that is spreading in Kansas City and beyond. Take a look. I started um, 19 years ago working with individuals with disabilities. I approached my sister and asked her if she wanted to help me create a place that provided meaningful employment for individuals with disabilities. Currently we have 21 super scoopers. Our goal is to mentor, inspire, and equip them to not only be successful in their jobs, but to be successful in their lives as well. I think I am re responsible I'm just doing ice cream freezer and the cash register. Cleaning the counters, the tables, the chairs, sweeping the floor. We actually were able to open in April of this year and the support from Kansas City was just amazing. We had lines out the door. We've had several customers come in saying, I've had a horrible day and I knew I could come to the Golden Scoop and leave with a smile on my face. I haven't really had a job before and this is my opportunity to serve ice cream to people and tell them how beautiful they look. I always say, have a nice day. I always love to be here. They're happy, they're reliable, and they're hardworking. In today's world where people are having a hard time hiring, they should seriously consider looking at the disabled community. They will go above and beyond for an employer. Isn't that cool? That is amazing. And speaking of amazing, I want to introduce to you Kim Manford and Lucy Wagner. Yeah, come on, come on. Well, Lucy, I have just a couple of questions for you. Okay. But first, I'm just going to ask Kim. Kim, as a Westsider, we'd love to know how did you get involved with the Golden Scoop and how did you meet Lucy? The Golden Scoop's pretty special. 
Um, I started volunteering there when they first opened in April of 21. Um, loved it so much that I came on um, just a couple shifts a week, um, helping manage and mentor all of our employees. Um, and that's where I met Lucy. Yes, Lucy, it is so awesome to be with you. And I have heard that you are an incredibly hard worker. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And where did you learn uh, this awesome work ethic? Well, I started working at Chick-fil-A when they actually hired me on the spot. Like, it was, like, amazing. <laughs> From there, I grew, and that was my first ever paid job. Yeah. And then where'd you go? And then, and then COVID hit, obviously. It shut right. me down at Chick-fil-A. Hmm. But then... The Golden Scoop opened in April of 2021. That's right when I got to start working at Golden Scoop. Man, that's amazing. So, and, um, so you did that. Yes. And then you became a trainer. Yes. You trained others. And then you actually have graduated. And where do you work now? Okay, now I technically moved, I technically moved on. Yeah. And I went to, I'm now over at KU Med. Man, this is amazing. This is so great. So you work for a world-class medical facility, and what do you do for them? So I work in a DNG cafe, and I kind of known as a dining room host. So technically, is the cleaning lady. <laughs> <laughs> so I, uh, I uh, clean tables, uh, stock condiments, silverware, and, nap and napkins. And stock coolers. Stock coolers. That's incredible. So if we go back to the Golden Scoop for a second, because I, I had a chance to go there yesterday, and um, it was amazing. And do you know Hank? I do. Yeah, he was the super scooper for me, and it was just fantastic. And they all knew you there, Lucy. I asked, and they said, oh, yeah, and their, 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 their faces just lit up. What did you love about your time at the Golden Scoop? I loved it. Just seeing all the smiling faces just made me, made my day so much brighter. Oh, it's incredible. And I'm, so here's what I experienced, that no matter what kind of mood you're in or how you're feeling about yourself, if you go to the Golden Scoop, you, you just can't leave without a smile on your face. Exactly. Yeah. Well, hey, Lucy, we uh, have a very special award for you. It's called the West Sider of the Week. Thank you for being an inspiration to us. Let's give it up to Lucy Wagner. Any, uh, any last words you want to leave with us? Thank you for having me. that good? Thank you. You're the best. <laughs> You're the best, Lucy. Thank, thank you. you. All right. And thank you, Kim Manford. Wasn't that amazing? I'm just telling you, it's all going downhill from here. That, that was it. That, that was the best part of the day. Well, at least till worship. So we are in the series called Work Matters, and I want to share an interesting statistic with you. It comes from what's called the Edelman Trust Index. And this is an organization that, um, that measures trust 
around the world and where do people put their trust and in what institutions? And the most recent, and they've done this now for 20 years, 28 different countries they survey, 36,000 different people, and here's what they found. They found that people in society trust the workplace more than any other institution. More than government, more than media, that might not be a surprise, but how about more than um, NGOs, non-governmental organizations, that would include well, you know, groups like the Red Cross and Amnesty International and the Boy Scouts of America and the church. 77% when surveyed said, do you, do you trust your employer or not trust your employer? 77% of them said, I trust my employer. That is a stunning number. We've, we've come a long way from about, what, eight years ago from the Occupy movement. Remember, it was all about corporate greed and all those things. And now, when people ask, what do and who do you trust the most? It's my boss. It's my leader. It's my company. That's stunning to me. And it says something. First of all, it's commentary on these other organizations, is it not? Including the capital C, Global Church. Here's what we're finding. What we're finding in today's society in the sense of all the shaking that we're experiencing, when you can no longer um, receive a, a healthy upbringing within your own home, within your own household, and when you no longer trust the church or the YMCA or this institution or that institution, where are people pointing their trust for work ethic, for a sense of morality, for a sense of social flourishing or social activism? Where do people put their trust for meaning and purpose and even spiritual fulfillment? Increasingly, it's the workplace. Isn't that incredible? I'm just curious, by the way. 77% um, said that they trust their employers. How many of you would say, yeah, I agree with that? Just quick blank exercise. Do you trust, uh, and if you own your own company, the question is, do you trust yourself, right? <laughs> but um, for those of us that have, uh, you know, we, we're gainfully employed in this regard, you could, by the way, be retired or uh, a stay-at-home uh, dad or mom, and that you are just as much uh, a worker as any of us. But for those of you who are gainfully employed outside of the house, how many of you say, yeah, I trust my employer? I'm just curious. Okay, I'm not gonna ask those of you to raise your hand if you're part of the 33% that don't, that's okay. But online, I'd love to have you put, post uh, your, your answer to that question as well. To me, it's stunning. To me, it's rather interesting. I get to work with leaders and with companies and they feel the pressure every day of essentially the existential angst that we all bring where we're coming now to our workplace saying, uh, for my own fulfillment. No longer just 30, 40 years ago, it was like I go to a job in order to be uh, paid and I seek my community, I seek my moral direction, I seek my spiritual fulfillment other places. It's all coming down to this one place called the job. That's where people are going. Or they're going to YouTube, which is another problem. Now, I was a few years ago, I... Um, just a little context on me, so I was a lead pastor, another great church here in town for 15 years. Before that, I was in the marketplace, and in the last two plus years, I've transitioned back into the marketplace, and I get to be a teaching pastor here 
at Westside on the side, but I have a full-time job, work with leaders, work with companies in the uh, area of people development. Part of how I got here was about five years ago, I went to a corporate training. I was in full-time ministry. I was invited by a friend to come participate. It was a two-day training. And it was, at one of, it was here in town. It was at one of the high-rise kind of big companies here in town and big buildings. And, and um, they walked us through emotional growth, intellectual growth, physical health and growth, and spiritual health and growth. And I'm sitting there having this out-of-body almost experience where I'm like, they are training us in the things that Jesus says are the most important, that we are to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. What's being focused on here? Heart, mind, soul, and strength. And I just remember writing in the little margins of the, you know, the manual they gave us or whatever it was, this is the new church. Where are people going? For community, for belonging, for spiritual fulfillment, for moral direction, for uh, a sense of societal flourishing. They're going more and more to the marketplace and a seed was planted in me in that moment. A sense of opportunity, a sense of responsibility and a sense of like Jesus matters more and more, maybe more than ever in the workplace. While the church maybe is diminishing in its uh, relevance uh, in some places uh, here and down around the world, Jesus actually becomes more and more pertinent. Now, here's the thing about Jesus. We talked about this months ago, and since no one remembers sermons, I'll just repeat it. (laughs) Jesus, in his uh, vocation, much more like you and I than maybe we realize. We oftentimes think Jesus was a carpenter, which we picture him out in the back shed with his dad, Joseph, and they were working on building tables and chairs and little boutique type things. But actually, the word for carpenter in the text is tectone. It's from the word that we get for architect and builder. It just so happens that there was not a lot of woodworking in that area of Galilee. There was a lot of stone masonry work. And in fact, that Jesus, when he talked about things, taught on things, he taught from one who had a real mind and business acumen for finance and things like that. I'll just cut you to the chase that more than likely, Jesus was more akin to a general contractor today where he reported up to clients and to bosses and he had a team. He traveled for his work, oftentimes going to what's called the Decapolis or the 10 cities for work more than likely. And that means something for you and I. To summarize it, and you can go back uh, to the sermon in early February, I think it was. But here's what a scholar, Jordan Monsoon, just summarized. He goes, Jesus spoke constantly of financial practice, of management of both projects and people, payment, debt wages, investment, hiring and firing, relationship between managers and staff. Do you get a sense that Jesus knew something of what your day-to-day often feels like? How many of you have to manage a budget, either in your household or for your division or your business unit or for your team? How many of you have staff issues? How many of you have workplace conflict? How many of you have to travel for your job? Right? All of a sudden we go, Jesus has something really to say and and to offer to you and I in this space. And uh, I brought this morning four things I want to talk about Jesus as one whom we can really learn from. But after the first 
uh, run this morning, I realize I can only have time for two. <laughs> All right, so uh, we're gonna look at two things about Jesus that I think will apply to you and me. Number one, and I just think this is cool. Jesus himself was a developing leader. Jesus himself was a developing leader. If you have your West Side app, go to it. If you have your analog old school Bible, you can grab it. You can look with me on the screens here. But look at Luke chapter 2. And uh, Jesus is 12 years of age. He and his family, they go to the temple for the Passover festival. And, uh, and it's there that Jesus gets lost. Uh, parents, you ever lost a kid? Yeah, muy scary, right? Don't ever want it to happen. They had traveled. They realized they didn't have him. They go back three days. They're apart from him. They finally find him. And at verse 46, here's what we see. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers. What's he doing? Listening to them and asking them questions. And if we jump to verse 52, we see, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God. And man, I find it fascinating that the God of the universe, whom we believe is fully God and fully man, that's the incarnation, that when he came to earth, he chose to submit himself to a developmental process. He chose to be under the leadership of parents who were not perfect, more than likely bosses who had their own blind spots, their own tendencies, their own patterns, and everything else. And Jesus came in and speaking with the religious elite in his day, he's asking them questions and he's listening intently. This is incredible. If I were God, I'd do it so differently. I'd just be like, here's how it is, people, right? I mean, I kind of know everything, right? But Jesus, in this beautiful, humble way, chose to be a developing leader. And let me just sound like the cranky 49-year-old for a moment. This is lost on us, and in particular, the younger generations. Not gonna look right down here. I'm just gonna, not gonna look at, at our younger generations. It's awesome, but here's the deal. This, this ability to walk a path of development uh, has really been lost on us today. I was talking to one of my daughters. She just oozes leadership. She's a lion, you know? And I'm like, honey, you could run a like Fortune 100 company one day. She goes, no, dad, I don't wanna do that. I go, why? She goes, well, I'd have to start at the bottom. <laughs> She's gonna have to work my way up from here. <laughs> it's like, like, yeah, right? I talked to a, 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 another daughter of mine. I have three, by the way. And uh, I said to her about the company that I started about two and a half years ago, I said, hey, honey, man, you're so good at math and finance and all this. You could be my CFO one day. And she looks at me, she goes, why not CEO? <laughs> I go, right. So I have job insecurity in my own home is, <laughs> is what I have. But the point is, who wants today to, to walk the path of Jesus a developmental process. Who wants to do that? This is the way of Jesus. It's interesting, when I was a full-time lead pastor and we had to fill a youth pastor position, increasingly, um, it became difficult to find those that would even apply for a youth pastor job. Why? Because they all wanted to go start their own churches. 
They didn't want to go through what was the original kind of path that had been laid. Now, by the way, let me say some of that's really cool. The, the bravery, the courage, the let's just go in, you know, barnstorm for the kingdom. Like, I love that spirit that's in our next generation. I really do. And yet, every single one of us, no matter your age, no matter your place, we always have to be developing, don't we? Is there ever a time in our lives where we go, man, I got this figured out. I've got this mastered. No, that actually things always need to be developed in us. What do, what do we want to see be developed? And again, remember, the conversation is trust. The Edelman Trust Index, that's what they're really measuring. Like, how do we trust people? Where does trust come from? Well, it really comes from four things. One is character. Do I trust who you are at your core? Do I trust that what you say is what you'll do? Do I trust that you have the best intent? And this needs to be formed and shaped over a lifetime. What did it say about Jesus? That he grew in wisdom and in stature, in favor with God and with man. The second thing is chemistry. Now, that might be kind of a funny word, right? Why, why do we grow chemistry? This is the ability to do relationship well. You know, you always say that uh, people in the work, work context are our most valuable asset. It's not true. People matter, talent matters, but it's the relationship between the people that really matters. I mean, you can have an all-star team, but if they don't know how to pass the ball, work through conflict, communicate, do all those things, you're going to waste a ton. There's going to be so much inefficiency, so much workplace drama. You have to get the relationships right. And by the way, to tie this back to what's going on in our society, when you're not learning relationship in the context of a household or a family, and you're not learning it from the church, and if your only other shot is YouTube, where else do you go? How do you learn and develop this, right? And so more and more uh, are learning. I, I feel uh, deeply for HR directors and chief people officers who are feeling the brunt of going, man, people don't even know how to do basic relationship anymore. And so we have to form and develop that. Third is competency. How do I master an acquired skill? How do I get good at, at what I do? And how do I continually improve and get better? And the last one is credibility. This is that growing in wisdom piece. Credibility. Did I do that? That feels funky. You ever just stare at a word too long? And you're like, what is that? Credibility, yeah, all right. I have just demonstrated my lack of credibility in the area of spelling <laughs> with you. This is that you've been there before, you've walked this road, you have the experience. We're gonna trust you, not only because we trust your intent, we, we also trust that you, we feel connected to you and you know how to do relationships well, but we also know that you can do it and you've been there before. This is how we grow trust with one another. So I just wanna ask you, if you're committed to being a developing leader, which one of these do you most need to work on? So that you can be like Jesus, who grew in wisdom, in stature, in favor with God and with others. What's an area of growth for you? assuming there's never a day that we've arrived 
and have it all figured out. I will tell you for me, um, this, is, this is my area of focus right now. I just, earlier this week, I joined a developmental path with somebody that I greatly respect, jumped into a training process and path with him to develop my competency in a particular area. I'm like, because I just don't want to plateau. I want to continue to offer those that I get to fight for their highest possible good. I want to bring them more and better. What is it for you? So assuming that there is something, can, can we all just put ourselves on, on the table here? How many of you would say, uh, and by the way, character issue doesn't mean you're robbing banks or anything, if this is your issue. It just means, man, there's something I, I gotta shore up. I don't feel quite as grounded at my core. Uh, if you would be so inclined, how many of you would say, okay, I'm gonna work on this. This is my area. All right, it's awesome. And online and Speedway, I just want you to fully contribute with us. How many of you just go, there's chemistry. I need to learn how to do relationship better. There's workplace drama that I, I think I'm contributing to or whatever it might be. How many of you just go, there's a chemistry thing that I need to give focus to? Competency. I wanna get better. I wanna sharpen the saw, okay? Great. And then credibility. I know there's a path here that I need to walk in order to, I'm seeing a few hands, in order to have, to be the, the leader that's worth following for others. All right, great, well hold on to that. Here's the second thing. The second thing is that Jesus asked great questions. Jesus asked great questions. Think about this again. He is fully God. He is both fully God and fully man. And he comes in and as recorded in the four gospels, he asked 307 questions that are recorded in the gospels. Is that not amazing? So the truth is, is that actually we think as for any of us in a leadership position of any regard, whether you're in a leadership position in your home or in your place of work, whatever it is, we often feel and increasingly so that we have to have all the answers. Well, actually you don't. We look at Jesus here and we go, no, we actually really, really need good questions oftentimes because great leaders ask insightful and incisive Questions. So I just want to look at two of Jesus. I mean, he's got great questions. Just that would be a great exercise. Go through the four gospels and just mark every time there's a question mark after something Jesus says. It'll be fascinating. Like, what were you guys talking about when you were walking alongside the road? Or show me Caesar's coin. Now whose inscription is it? Or does this offend you, what I'm telling you? His questions are brilliant and they bring things out. That's what, that's what questions do. They bring things out. Let's look at a couple examples here. Uh, so let's turn to, uh, let's see, let's turn to John chapter five. So Jesus rolls by this pool. It's called the pool of Bethesda. There's a man there that has been paralyzed for 38 years. And it says in verse six, when Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time. What does that mean? It means he probably asked a bunch of questions. And learned that he'd been lying there for a long time. He asked them, do you want to get well? So now, if you're in a leader posi uh, leadership position, you might have an employee that is stuck, maybe becoming slightly toxic. 
And when asked, that employee starts to tell you about all the conditions by which they can't get better. Anybody coming to mind? Right? Well, it's this person, what's well, that? Well, it's the organization hasn't, it's all of these things. And this question that Jesus asked, very, very pertinent for you right now in this situation. When he asked this question, do you want to get well, how do you think it was received by this man who is paralyzed and an invalid for 38 years? Probably challenging, would you agree? Possibly hurtful. But what's Jesus going after? This man's inner fortitude. This man's emotional, intellectual, volitional agency. Is he gonna remain a victim? Is he gonna continue to give all the reasons why he can't do this? Or, and Jesus is kind of going to the story behind the story, what's really going on in this man's heart and does he want to get well? I really relate with this question when I think about my golf game. <laughs> because when I hit a ball, it goes there. And, and I complain about it. And if Jesus were to come to me and say, Dan, do you want to get well in your golf game? I'd have to be honest and say, no, I really don't. I just wanna slice and complain. I wanna slice and complain because I don't wanna have to pay for a pro to come fix it. I don't wanna change my grip. I don't wanna do all those things. So I'll just stay right where I am. And some of you have uh, somebody you work with, could be a coworker, a colleague, a, you know, somebody that, you're, that reports to you and they wanna stay right where they are. Well, here's a question, straight from the playbook of Jesus that I think would help. Let's look at another one. This gets even more intense, and it's found in the gospel according to Mark, uh, Mark chapter 10. Now, here's the context. So Jesus has just laid out how things are gonna get really hard before they get better. He's like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be tortured, I'm going to be whipped, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. And the disciples are like, yeah, 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 okay, okay, okay. And then in uh, verse 35, because they don't really get it. Verse 35, chapter 10 of Mark. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they're also called the sons of thunder, and you'll learn why here. They come to Jesus and they say, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Now these Cats have the exact opposite problem of the guy sitting poolside, right? This isn't a volitional agency issue. This is, this is what? This is hubris. This is some of you ever had somebody come in, ask for more responsibility and a raise, and you knew they weren't ready for it? Have you ever had somebody come in and ask for less responsibility and a raise? Okay, so... This is how it rolls out. There's two questions Jesus asks. So they, they go, we want you to do whatever we ask. And what does Jesus say? Not what I would have said. He says, what do you want me to do for you? What would you have said in that moment? You're the boss, and somebody comes in boldly, and you know they don't deserve it. What would you say instead? I would not invite them to say more. But Jesus does. It's fantastic. And why? Why would he do that? Why would he ask them to elaborate? Because questions always get to the thing behind the thing. Questions have a way of bringing things to the surface 
that commands could never do. Questions have a way of bringing that intangible thing called the culture or what's happening in the space between people to the surface, and you have to deal with it. I think that's what Jesus is going after here in this moment. So he says, what do you want me to do for you? They reply, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. That's a raise. And it's a responsibility. And Jesus says, you don't know what you are asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? And they say, we can. And we work with people who don't have a healthy sense of their self-awareness, their readiness, their, I mean, what's going on here for these two guys? Could be a character issue. It's about to cause a chemistry issue we're gonna see in just a moment. They have a real competency issue because they think they're on par with Jesus and they're losing credibility every time they open their mouth. So Jesus says to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the 10, this is the other disciples, when they heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. See what I mean? Two questions. What did they accomplish? They got to the thing behind the thing. And in this moment, we're, we're gonna, we see that Jesus is actually doing two things. He says very directly, you can't sit in the seat that I sit. You can't bear the cup that I hold. And what do you want me to do for you? Right? Isn't that incredible? So what he's doing is he's pushing and he's pulling in this moment to draw things out that are going on within the 12 disciples that's happening within James and within John. Why? Because he wants to form deeply. Because these 12 are all he has. And they're gonna go on to change the world. And they need to go on a developmental process themselves. And Jesus goes on huddle them all up together and goes, hey, look, you guys, I know that the, all that you've ever seen modeled for you in leadership is those in high positions lorded over you. They exercise their authority over you and it's by their positional power that everyone else is afraid and kowtows to them. I'm not just gonna say to you, not, not so with you. You're gonna be the ones that come underneath. You're gonna be humble and you're gonna serve. And Jesus, with two questions, just unearths it all. He pushes and he pulls. I want you to look at this graphic here with me. One of the things I love about Westside is that we work with an organization called Giant Worldwide to develop our staff. And um, here's just a graphic by which we, uh, it's really a tool asking the question, am I a pusher or am I a puller? If you're a pusher, then you give your views and opinions, you state your needs and wants, you use incentive and pressure and accountability and metrics and all sorts of things, but at the bottom line, you're telling. You're being clear and direct, sometimes by command. And if you're pulling, you're just kind of pulling on the string. You're doing active listening. You're drawing people out. You're building and establishing common ground. Now hear me, what did Jesus do? He did both. He did both. And there are moments as leaders, as parents, 
however the influence that you have and whatever spaces you have, we need to be people who are clear and direct at times, and we need to be people who lean in, engage, and draw out. We need to, be, we need to push, and we need to pull. And if we just do one versus the other, we have problems, don't we? What happens if all you do is push? Well, then, then people feel like they have no voice. It leads to uh, a lack of ownership. It's just like, you just want me to acquiesce here. You want me to capitulate. You want me just to toe the line. Okay. And morale goes down. But what if all we do is pull and we're never clear? Then what happens? Well, no one knows where you truly are on something. You ever worked with somebody you just never quite knew where they, they asked you all the questions but they were never forthright or disclosing themselves? Man, that feels like subterfuge. Just feels a little sleight of hand, can feel passive aggressive. What I love about Jesus is he, in his leadership, did both and he calibrated the two. Let me just ask you, how many of you would say, by default, you're more of a pusher than a puller? How many of you just go, yep, Clear, direct, you always know where I am, right? Okay. How many of you are more pullers? You just love to ask the questions, but maybe struggle to bring your, your full opinion to bear. Okay, so you know what our work is, right? My work is I, I'm more of a puller, and I can be more clear. I've been in situations with people I work with, and I thought I had been clear for years, and all of a sudden they're like, wait, why is this the first time I'm hearing this? And it's it's clear to me that I wasn't clear. So I love to pull, but sometimes I need to be more direct. Okay? Now here's, here's what's the beautiful thing. Jesus wasn't just this way in the Gospels. He's this way still today. That with you and I in our lives and in our work and in our families and in our relationships... And as he's wanting to draw each of us out in our character, chemistry, competency, and credibility, he's pushing and pulling today. And so I just want to ask you, what's he saying to you in this space here today? He's still speaking. He sits on the throne. He's alive and well, and by his Holy Spirit, we have access to hear, what's my developmental path today, Lord? What do you want to bring out and bring forth and shape? And so I just want us to pray. The band's gonna just play a little soft music underneath and I just wanna give us space. Is there something really clear and direct you feel like you've heard from God today? Or is there a nudge or a prompt or a question that he's just pulling on a string in your heart and you go, I gotta pay attention to this. So if you would just take your, your hands and online community, just wherever you are, just place your palms open. And Father, we just pray for your deep heart. And we know that you are always speaking, always moving. And sometimes you are clear and direct. And other times you prompt, you nudge, you place a question in our mind or in our heart. So we receive your push today. If there's a push, we'll receive it. We want to follow that the pull, the draw. And we'll know if it's from you if we feel a warmth and a weight. 
will know it's not from you if we feel shame or embarrassment or even discouragement. We might feel sorrow and conviction, but it's gonna draw us towards you with the warmth and the weight of your heart, oh God. So if there is a pull from heaven, we receive it today. If there's a push, we know it comes from a deep heart of love and we receive that too. And Jesus, it's in your incredible name that we pray. And if you're able, would you stand as we continue in song?